Well, excuse me, (laughs) what a week this has been. Um, A few weeks even, really. You know, we've had um, an extension of lockdown, then some hope of freedom from mask wearing outdoors. Then we got an extension to travel 25Ks from our homes. That was from last Friday. Then before we even got to not wearing masks outside, we were back to wearing them outside again. And just to add things to that, we ended up seeing that wild storm um, Wednesday night that saw many people lose power, phone services down, um, many displaced from their homes or even unable to get out of their homes that have been damaged. Um, Yeah, it's just carnage. So wherever your emotions are sitting from the events of just this week, let alone the year that was 2020, I pray that you might find some encouragement in in what the Lord's laid on my heart to share this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are, that no matter what is going on in our midst, you are there with us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our lives. Lord, just speak this morning through the words that you've given me and laid on my heart, that it might encourage and touch those that are hearing this now. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. So this week I'm going to be exploring and expanding on the thoughts from chapter 5 in the book, Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and... Well, the book's called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and chapter 5 is Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. So we've been... uh, This is our fifth week where we've seen... Had four weeks already and I know I just love how the book has been building each week upon the next. The first week we looked at the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and Pete directed us to the example of King Saul and where the Lord rejects him as king. We saw that Saul never really fully listens to God or totally obeys the Lord's instructions. He was doing things in his own strength. Um, To overcome falling into this same trap that King Saul did, we were challenged to make sure that we take time to get alone with God and to understand our deep feelings. Just as Jesus went away to places of solitude to be with God, that's what we need to do as well. Week two was titled, um, Know Yourself That You May Know God. So quite simply, that was uh, all about where we find our identity. And if you've been tuning in for a while or been here regularly, you would remember that leading up to Easter, we looked at the seven I am statements of Jesus. We saw Jesus knew exactly who he was as God's son, and he moved forward in that in confidence. The challenge for us is resisting, the temptations to find our identity in our performance, possessions and popularity rather than our new identity in Christ. Week three was looking back to look forward, breaking the power from the past. And this was looking at the influence of our family line. And I was fascinated in seeing the links that Pete brought out of that lying spirit that, we, um, that followed on from Abraham for many generations. 
and recognising that those who cannot learn from their past are bound to repeat it. This really challenged me as I looked back, recognising certain traits coming down the line in my family, but accepting that my identity in Christ, with that, he can help me overcome them. And last week, uh, Jordan spoke on chapter 4, which was based on journeying through the wall. So letting go, really, of power and control, giving that over to God. So Jordan spoke on following Jesus is a journey into maturity. And as we mature, we will need to confront pain and not flee from it. Which flows so well into this week's message, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Grief and loss is more than the passing of a loved one. We can grieve the loss of health, relationships, dreams and desires that have not yet or may never even eventuate. Or even more recently, some of us may have been grieving the loss of that freedom yet again due to the lockdowns here in Melbourne. And this can often lead us into a feeling of loss and control. And I'm sure there's other things that you can add to that list. You know, often we see people blaming God in their grief and losses. And even as Christians, we can blame God when we suffer grief and loss. Which is not surprising, really, as it was modelled to us way back in Genesis 3.12. As we see um, Adam not only blaming Eve, but blaming God, saying, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. Now, I never noticed this before. It actually blew me away when the Lord opened my eyes to the connection and recognition of Adam actually blaming God. You see, I always originally only saw blame, um, Adam blaming Eve, and maybe that's where you've sat as well. But as I've really pondered this verse through the week, I could almost hear Adam accusing God in that accusing voice. You know, that woman that you put here with me. Uh, so... As we look back, it's not surprising that all too often questioning or blaming God can be our first response also. So how do we enlarge our soul through grief and loss? Well, let me first acknowledge I'm no expert, but I have experienced some of my own grief and losses and journeyed with many others over the years and have experienced others that have experienced far greater losses than I have. And I've also learnt a lot as I've read others' raw and honest struggles and journeys of grief and loss um, through different books. Even though our experiences of grief is as unique as our own fingerprint. Just like we all learn in different ways, we all grieve in different ways. It's not healthy to compare the way we grieve to others. Years ago, I remember feeling guilty that I didn't grieve the way others grieved when I had my eptopic pregnancy. I pretty much got on with life at the time as I had a six-month-old baby to look after and because I'd had so much trouble falling pregnant initially, I was not expecting or planning to be pregnant again so soon. Then later, when I was able to, I had to eventually deal with that loss of not only losing a baby, but also the loss of a fallopian tube, which had the potential of lessening my chances of falling pregnant again. 
and again questioning God in the midst of my grief and loss. In this, it reminded me that we should never judge others in how they may look to be grieving. I think particularly of uh, Lindy and Michael Chamberlain and how they were judged when they did not grieve publicly the way a lot of people expected they should grieve when their baby Azaria was taken. So there's five points that I want to look at today that have helped me. And I hope and pray will continue to help me as I ponder through grief and loss. And as I've shared before, I'm a slow learner, so no doubt I will have to continue going back and reminding myself of these things as I face grief and loss in the future. So those five things are paying attention to your feelings, pressing in and listening for the Lord and trust him, know the hope in the Lord and his promises, accept and experience the Lord's peace that surpasses all understanding, and then eventually experiencing the new normal. So let's look a bit deeper into what is meant in these points. Especially, we can reflect on an example of Jesus. I think that's always the best place to be looking. So Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So paying our attentions, paying attention to your feelings means being honest and vulnerable with the Lord and a trusted few. Even Jesus, we saw there in that verse that Jesus poured out his feelings to his father. And grief is an emotion that we've inherited from God. We're made in the image of God. And we see right back in Genesis that God grieved. Genesis 6, 6 tells us that God grieved that he made man because of their wickedness. And this was just before the flood. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping for his friend Lazarus even though he knew Lazarus would be raised back to life for God, all for God's glory and also that Jesus himself would be glorified. So just reading through John, uh, some of John chapter 11, we're told, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Moving on to verses 11 to 15. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. This, that was Jesus speaking to his disciples. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought they meant natural sleep. 
So he then told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we see me, um, Martha being really honest in sharing her feelings with Jesus and even disappointment. But I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Moving on to verses 32 to 36. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here again, we see that same honesty from Mary as we saw in Martha. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this next verse is one that I really love, where we see the, the really relatable human emotions of Jesus poured out in just a couple of words. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? If we look at Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34, we see Jesus while hanging on the cross cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we see an explanation in Hebrews 5, the passage we looked at earlier. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. As I said earlier, even as Christians, we can blame God when we suffer grief and loss. But we can be honest with God. As we see here in these verses from um, the story of Mary and Martha and even Jesus, we see it all also in the likes of Job and King David through the Psalms, many of the Psalms where King David has poured his heart out to God. And also we can see it when we hear Jesus cry out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. God knows how we are feeling anyway. We can think it's unchristian to doubt or question God. But if you look at a lot of the Psalms, as I mentioned, that's exactly what David did. 
He did not run from God, he ran to God. He ran to God with his doubts and questions, which leads us into our next point. We need to press in and listen for the Lord and trust him. Trust his still, small voice, because this is where we'll find peace. And to come in reverent submission. Back in 2015, when I went through burnout, I felt like I'd lost control. I'd lost energy, lost hope that things could ever get better. Once I'd come to my breaking point, I was sent home and told not to hide myself under the covers, but to take time, get professional help, and really press into the Lord. Now, in my weariness, lack of hope, anything at the time, um, I really probably didn't uh, receive this instruction very well. Um, but I knew it was what I needed. It, it was giving me permission, actually, uh, for some of those things that I thought maybe, well, even time to really get away and press into Lord rather than just doing the next best thing, the best thing that I felt in my own strength. When we're grieving or facing loss, it can be very easy to hide ourselves away, to listen and seek out others that will give us comfort. We may even go to a friend who will tell us just what we want to hear. We may drown our sorrows with excessive alcohol or overeating, binging on Netflix, going from one relationship to another, or countless other ways that I'm sure you could add your own to this list but they'll only dull the pain temporarily. Matthew 26, 36 to 39 says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said, to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. What we heard earlier as well. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. That first day that I was sent home from work with burnout, which at the time I didn't really know what it was, I remember crying out to the Lord saying, I don't know what this is, but I trust that it will be used for your good and your glory someday. Which I believe as I share vulnerably, vulnerably my anxieties, griefs, losses and insecurities, I believe the Lord is using that for his good and his glory. And I've seen that in countless others as others share vulnerably as well how gaining our strength from the Lord he is the one that is glorified as I've pleaded with the Lord like Paul did to take this thorn um, from my flesh that thorn of anxiety um, he's promised me that his grace is sufficient for me for his power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will and I can boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me and that's in 2 Corinthians 12 9 
Now, this has taken time and it is a continual process. It's not a one-off. We continually need to press into him so the enemy won't get a foothold. Our next point is knowing the hope in the Lord and his promises. Um, in, that chap- in that verse in um, passage in he- Hebrews, it says that Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Peter Scazzario says in his book, loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happen if we have the courage to participate fully in the process. We will all face many deaths in our lives, but we all have a choice whether these deaths will be terminal, so crushing our spirits and life, or whether they'll open us up to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ. (laughs) Or for me, I simply prefer to think of it is that we can allow it to make us bitter or better. Initially, in our grief and loss, it can feel like our suffering will never end. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We have many promises of hope from the Lord of his word. And in the book of John, we hear the Lord comforting and preparing his disciples to give them hope as he himself was preparing for difficult obedience to face the cross. John 14, 1-7 says, Jesus is saying to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. Then Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And I know myself, I struggled with that for many years until I'd really taken hold of of that and really pressed in. And can now have that peace and knowing that I am safe in Christ. I remember after my grandfather passed away, um, the family and doctors at the time expected my grandmother to only survive around six months uh, following her husband's death, as we all felt that her grief would consume her. Miraculously, Grandma survived two days short of 18 years after my grandfather's passing. Um, Back in their generation, faith was seen as a really personal thing. So, well, that was the experience from my family, at any rate. And so I never really heard either of my grandparents talk openly about their faith uh, or saw them with a Bible. It was more an assumed thing 
because they were churchgoers and good people. As my relationship with the Lord matured and deepened, this concerned me as my grandma got frailer. And particularly after my grandfather had passed away, she couldn't even face going back to church because that's where they'd met and it was just too painful for her. I'd prayed and asked God to give me an opportunity to speak with my grandma about her faith. And praise God, he gave me that opportunity one day when I was visiting her in the nursing home. The subject came up about uh, being a Christian and I asked her what she thought that meant. Quite indignantly, she said to me, someone who's accepted and follows, follows Christ, of course. <laughs> so then I asked her, have you done that? To which again, very indignantly, she answered me, of course. <laughs> so having this confirmed clearly was such a great comfort to me when my grandma passed, knowing with assurance that she knew and had accepted the way to her heavenly father. So our fourth point is accepting and experiencing the Lord's peace that surpasses all understanding. The only way to experience the Lord's peace is to know him intimately. And as I just mentioned earlier, I struggled with that. I, I didn't have that peace initially. I wondered whether I was, I was a good person in that, but I wondered whether I was going to go to heaven or not. There's no greater comfort when um, grieving a loved one than knowing with absolute certainty that your loved one's trust is in the Lord, just as I'd experienced with my grandma. We are only made perfect through accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us personally. Now, I do believe the Lord does not desire any to perish. We're told in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In my experience, everyone that I've spoken to, everyone wants to go to heaven. I've never been to any funeral where I've heard them say, oh, they are so looking forward to hell. And maybe for some, that acceptance of the Lord will not come until their last dying hours. I think sometimes our struggle in finding this peace is in our perception of God. I love how Lisa Turkhurst filters and processes the truth of God through all circumstances in her life. She has three, three points or three mantras she likes to say to herself. God is good. God is good to me. And God is good at being God. If we see God based on our feelings and we don't feel God is good, then it will be really diff difficult to experience his peace. Lisa also says, these truths help settle my runaway fears and chaotic emotions when feelings beg me to question, why would you let this happen, God? She admits it's not easy. And if you've ever heard her story, she has many good books where she shares raw and openly and honestly of all her personal griefs in her life especially, um, not her last book, but a few books ago, it's called um, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And you can also hear her share podcasts through Proverbs 31 Ministries. She continues to say, I had many 
um, I had many good ideas of how my life should go, including notions of what a good God would and would not allow in my life. I said I trusted God, but in reality, I think I trusted in the plan I thought God should follow. And when my life took turns so far from my expectations, my soul shook, my peace evaporated, and everything in me wanted to run and hide and stop trusting God. I was sharing some of um, Lisa's story with my hairdresser the other week and she said, boy, she sounds like a modern-day Job. And, and her story almost is, other than the house, um, yeah, her house being crushed. <laughs> and her ch she still has her children as well. Um, but knowing the Lord will not sh shield us from loss, grief and struggles in our life. But as we look to Jesus and his victory over sin and death, we can experience his peace that surpasses all understanding. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Have you found comfort in knowing with absolute assurance a loved one whose past is with the Lord in glory? And do your loved ones know with assurance of your love and acceptance of what the Lord has done for you on the cross so that when your time comes, they will have that assurance. So then we head into that last one, which is experiencing the new normal. Letting the old birth new in his time. At the end of chapter 5 in the book, Peter Scazzario reminds us that the central message of Christ is that suffering and death bring resurrection and transformation. Jesus himself said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's from John 12, 24. But remember, resurrection only comes out of death, real death. Our losses are real, and so is our God, the living God. There are many rich fruits that blossom in our lives as a result of embracing our losses. The greatest, however, concerns our relationship with God when we move from a give me, give me, give me prayer life to an intimate, loving prayer life characterised by a loving union with God. When we grieve God's way, we are changed forever. And this is where we'll find our new normal. Lisa Turkest, again, has um, put out a devotion book after her own devastation of loss, pain and restoration called Seeing Beautiful Again. And at the back of the book, she states, In the middle of the pain you didn't cause, the change you didn't want, or the reality you didn't know was coming, your life can still be beautiful. Because with God, there is always more than we see being worked out behind the scenes. Let's pray. Lord, grief and loss is tough. It's a tough subject. And Lord, you are faithful, even though at times we may not 
be looking through that lens to you. Help us to press into you in those times of grief and loss. Help us to look through the lens, as Lisa does, that you are good, God, that you are good to us and that you are good at being God. We thank you and we do desire to trust you more. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen.